0: from the heritage foundation i'm tim desher and this is heritage explains live We've seen all the headlines about Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. So what does it mean? How is China going to respond? And what will that response look like? On this episode of Heritage Explains Live, our pal Dean Chang, Senior Research Fellow here at the Heritage Foundation in the Asian Studies Center, knows this issue inside and out, and we have a long-form discussion to go through everything and all the questions you might have. So please, enjoy this interview. Okay, we are live We are live, Dean. We are live. It's the best time, Heritage Explains, live. We've been seeing it all over TV. All the pundits are talking about it. Speaker Nancy Pelosi has landed in Taiwan, and that's in spite of threats uh, from the Chinese Communist Party. They've said, serious consequences and resolute measures. It appears she has landed in spite of that serious threat, Dean. Now... I know a lot of people, including me, have questions regarding this. What is all the hullabaloo? What is all of this about? What are all the reports about? Why is this such a big deal? So we wanted to turn the cameras on. As we do here, we go live. We take questions from the audience. We take questions from you. We are live. So if you do type in questions, folks, we're going to see them. And chances are we're going to get to them. So please, if as we talk here, you say, oh, I don't understand. that. I don't, I don't, I don't know what Dean's talking about here. We'll get to it, please get to it, and we will, tra- we will track those. So I'm your host, Tim Descher. Uh, I host a podcast here called Heritage Explains, and we like to turn the cameras on, like we said, and do this. And in, in, in our guest uh, taking these questions on Taiwan is Dean Chang. He's a senior research fellow here at the Heritage Foundation in the Asian Study Center. He's done a lot of podcasts on this, a lot of TV on this. He is poised to answer, poised to set the record straight. Dean, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. It's great. It's really, really awesome you're here. I just wanted to say, so uh, Speaker Pelosi released a statement. It says, quote, America's solidarity with the 23 million people of Taiwan is more important today than ever as the world faces a choice between autocracy and democracy. Start us out here. You know, statements like this, you know... We, we say that all the time in terms of reference to other nations, and stuff, but, but China doesn't make you know, threats like that. Why are they so upset about this?
1: So it's important to look at Taiwan through the Chinese lens to understand why they are so concerned. Why does Taiwan, an island of 23 million people, matter to China, a country of 1.3 billion? It falls into broadly three buckets. The first is CCP legitimacy, and that's tied to history. Taiwan was one of the first territories torn away from the motherland, as the Chinese would view it, when the Japanese took it in the first Sino-Japanese War in 1894-95. So for over a century from the Chinese view, Taiwan has somehow been separated from the mainland by external, outside horrible, nasty forces. Hmm. And the CCP's legitimacy, the Chinese Communist Party's legitimacy is partly we have reunified the country, China can stand up under our leadership. And yet Hmm. Taiwan is still not fully back part of China. The second is the so-called first island chain. If you take a look from Japan through Okinawa, Taiwan, the Philippines, to the Straits of Malacca, there's a string of islands, all under governments that are Normally, we're very pro-United States, that hem in China. China's navy can't break out into the Pacific unless it transits through that first island chain. Mm. Conversely, if those islands, at least some of them were in Chinese hands, their radars would see further, their bombers could reach further, they could intercept forces more easily. And then the third part is technology. Taiwan is the largest manufacturer of advanced microchips, not just memory chips. Not the chips that go into your microwaves, although they make that too, right. but the chips that power your cell phone, your computer, hmm. your uh, the systems that go into F-35s and into spacecraft and into advanced uh, smart cars and all the rest. China would love to control that technology. Hmm. China would love to control. Its piece of the s- s- uh, chip supply chain is the lower-end memory chips commodities, really.
0: And... And that's huge because, like, like you said, this smartphone that I'm using here to, to, to guide this thing, those chips come from Taiwan, pretty much, but, and China takes control and they get all of the intelligence that they gather from it.
1: Absolutely. Okay. And we yeah, see this, for example, with yep. the Chinese use of Huawei cell towers sure. by our ICBM fields right. to listen in. Yep. TikTok, it turns out, if you have TikTok on your phone... The data on your phone, the data that transmits over your phone has been probably shunted to China.
0: So China, there's a lot at stake here. Speaker Pelosi shows up and shows, you know, fl- gives gives the flex of United States supporting. And of course, China responds because they see that opening. They see that. And let's talk a bit about why they see that. Talk about the Biden administration's response to Speaker Pelosi's visit, maybe before, maybe now. Why um, has it been a full throated endorsement? Has it been kind of passive? What has that looked like?
1: So Speaker Pelosi was going to go to uh, Taiwan last fall. Uh, she had hooked up with Congressman Meeks. She came down with COVID. So really, this is simply a rescheduling of that visit. Okay. Had she gone at the time, there probably would have been less controversy. But now, she's heading the delegation. From the Chinese perspective, who is Nancy Pelosi? She is number three in the line of succession. If mm-hmm. the president and vice president die, she becomes president of the United States. Right. So therefore, She has an enormous amount of power, and that's a political statement of her going. The sad part here is Joe Biden should have probably said, you know what? No one tells an American leader, especially a co-equal leader of a branch of government, Speaker of the House, Senate Majority Leader, President of the United States, where she can go and when she can go. Instead, he didn't even have the courage to say, I don't want her to go. I'm the president of the United States and this would be bad. Instead, he weasel words it as the military thinks it's a bad idea. I mean, right. this is basically the opposite of Harry Truman. Harry Truman said the buck stops here. <laughs> yeah. Joe Biden has said over inflation, over uh, Nancy Pelosi, over a whole lot of things, the buck stops anywhere but here.
0: Yeah. And that is not leadership. That is moral cowardice. Dean, this seems to be a trend throughout all different policy areas within the Biden administration, a lack of decisive leadership and engagement, uh, an acknowledgement that America is great, the greatest force for good, I believe, in this entire world. Um, I wanted to just pivot here again. Folks, we are live. We are taking your questions. We are, um, we're, we're streaming. We've got folks uh, on Getter tuning in from, uh, from New York, North Carolina, and Michigan. It's awesome, folks. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Um, Angel on Facebook has a question. Has Congress announced their official position on Taiwan's independence from China? Taiwan
1: is uh, not independent from China. Taiwan okay. is run by the Republic of China. That is the official name of the government in Taipei, and it and the People's Republic of China both claim to represent China. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a sense, there is uh, one China. The question is, where is the capital? In Taipei or Beijing? So, and the United States it's important to recognize. Uh, important to remember, doesn't recognize Taiwan either as an independent country. Mm-hmm. In fact, only about a dozen or so all very small places recognize Taiwan as a country. It doesn't have a seat in the U.N. So no, the U.S. Congress, the U.S. State Department does not recognize Taiwan as an independent country. Recognizing its independence would open up enormous cans of worms, Um, and frankly, it would probably lead to a break in U.S.-China relations. Now, is that something we want to do? Do we want to have worse than a Cold War, arguably? between the first and second largest economies, between the, the some of the largest supply chains to each other, hmm. and to nuclear-armed powers. Maybe that's the right answer, but I think we need a much bigger national debate, a national discussion, not something that gets announced on a Friday Twitter feed from the White House.
0: Yeah. Again, folks, taking your questions, thank you so much for posting them. We are getting them, we are seeing them. Dean, I wanted to ask you, when China says, uh, serious consequences and resolute measures, what, what does that mean?
1: Whatever they want it to.
0: Uh-huh. Um, it's phrases like
1: that, that on the one hand, people who are worried about things can draw the worst possible conclusions. You've probably heard rumors that, oh, maybe they'll shoot the, the speaker's plane down. Yeah. The Chinese aren't the ones making that threat. It is Americans and others uh, as analysts saying, what, what could that mean? In all likelihood, what it's most likely going to mean is the following. Greater Chinese crossing of the midline with airplanes, they've been doing that. Circumnavigating the island, they now have multiple aircraft carriers, so they could do something like what we do, which is a multi-carrier battle group. They've announced live fire exercises north and south of Taiwan as soon as the speaker leaves, uh, and have closed air and sea space about that. They could, uh, if they want to be more drastic, uh, for example, announce a sale of items to Russia. Mm -hmm. It would be a message to Joe Biden, you don't care about what matters to us, we don't care about what matters to you. Hmm. Um, They could do cyber attacks. They already have against Taiwan. They could, in theory, do something against the United States. The beauty of that is they can always deny it. It's very hard to prove exactly who did a cyber attack. So there's a variety of things that they could do, way, way, way less than shooting down the speaker's plane or declaring a no-fly zone and forcing her plane down in China, which some people have also said that they would
0: do. Yeah. Well, we've got a lot of people from Florida tuning in. I don't, I'm not sure why we've got a Florida delegation here, but folks, thanks so much for being with us. Um, again, we're taking your questions live. One that, that, that I'm curious, and, and, and it goes to a, a broader um, context here, I think, with with. How we behave in America, how we spend and spend and spend, and um, someone says Chinese, the, Ch- the Chinese finance our debt, and you know that kind of stuff. So, Speaker Pelosi shows up in Taiwan. We show support and solidarity. Does, is that enough to um, detract, pull away from um, the the action that we have that seemingly weakens us against China? Would that one thing of showing up in Taiwan kind of? push back and say, hey, we're we're changing the course here, or is this just kind of a one-and-done trip?
1: Um, This is largely a one-and-done trip unless the administration chooses to follow up on it. Unfortunately, what the administration has done is the exact opposite. The administration has actually sold fewer arms to Taiwan at this point in Biden's term than most other presidents have. Worse, He has actively worked against certain arms sales of proven utility. If you look at what's been going on in Ukraine, a key part of the Ukrainian Air Force's ability to counter the Russians has been the provision of airborne early warning from NATO aircraft flying in NATO airspace. Hmm. The Taiwanese wanted to buy an E-2D airborne early warning aircraft, and the administration apparently has killed that. They've also killed an anti-submarine helicopter sail to Taiwan. China is one of the largest submarine fleets in the world on the grounds that it's not asymmetric enough. Now, the funny thing about it is, me personally, I'm not sure what could be more asymmetric than a helicopter against a submerged submarine, something flying above the water (laughs) against something below the water. But this administration apparently, since it's redefining
0: things like recession,
1: has apparently defined that as not asymmetric.
0: Great questions. Uh, great questions. Chilling answers, I'm sure. But, but uh, David on Facebook, Dean, this is a great question. Uh, and he's on with what I was just alluding to. Uh, because China holds so much debt and, and holds a lot of actual real estate here in America, do they have leverage over us? Well,
1: all right. Let's start with real estate. Unless you think that the Chinese are going to dig up acres of topsoil and ship it all back to China... Um, Realistically speaking, they can certainly take home whatever they grow there or they can use buildings that they own to uh, listen in on things. But the threat is limited, shall we say. And we saw this actually in the 1980s when the Japanese bought Rockefeller Center Hmm. and uh, Pebble Beach and people said, ''Oh my gosh, Japan's buying up America.'' You'll notice Rockefeller Center is still in New York City. Mm. Um, With regards to debt, um, it's a very long and complicated answer that an economist is much better able to answer. But what it comes down to is the following. The Chinese own our debt because there's no other place they had to put all of their trade surplus. They couldn't put it into their own money because it's not freely tradable. And American T-bills are the safest bonds out there. And the Chinese wanted a return. Um, We maintained a positive interest rate. Europe and Japan were actually charging negative interest rates at one point. You bought a 1,000 euro bond, you were not going to get even a 1,000 euros back. Hmm. So for the Chinese in that situation, they didn't buy our bonds to have leverage and they also didn't buy our bonds to do us a favor. They bought our bonds because it was a good investment and that pretty much limits their ability to influence
0: us. And one thing it certainly does is it complicates that relationship all the more making it more and more difficult for us to take hard stances on certain things as we can see with how the Biden administration continues to flounder in their response to the threat of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, Nan on Facebook, thank you. By the way, thank you so much folks for your questions. They're just coming in and one of our Florida contingencies, Nan, uh, Floridians are particularly interested in protecting freedom and rooting out freedom threats. So it's no surprise we're here. Nan, we hear you on that one. Thanks so much for that. Uh, Shirley on Facebook, thanks Shirley for watching. I have boycotted China products for decades. Buying used is cheaper and better for our country. So, I mean, we've got a lot of response here. A lot of people are already active. They are already (laughs) trying on their own to push back against the threat of the Chinese Communist Party. Dean, take us a little bit deeper here. You know, as we look to the states, we look to ways that we can push back. You know, it's not all happening here in D.C., although it is important. Talk a little bit about looking to the states for a uh, pushback against the Chinese Communist Party.
1: You know, one of the biggest questions I get asked, one of the most common questions, is does China really have a long term plan? Hmm. And the answer to that is yes and no. The no part is China is run by politicians. They are thinking mostly, will I still be in power next week? But where they do have a long term plan, is investing in relationships and building ties with American politicians Hmm. beginning early in their career. So when you are a mayor, if you are a county manager, if you are a state representative, the Chinese want to get to know you, they want to wine and dine you, in some cases they may want to sleep with you. Um, In order to create that relationship so that as you rise, Among the thousands of mayors and state reps, et cetera, are probably going to be hundreds of governors, are probably going to be tens of representatives and senators, and who knows, maybe someday a president of the United States. If they can get their hooks in early, if they can build those relationships, they expect that that will pay off. Conversely, states have the ability as fairly independent entities. For example, where is your pension fund invested? Hmm. Is it invested in Chinese bonds or is it invested outside? And unfortunately, some of these giant hedge funds want to invest in China because they are trying to do foreign policy, because they think this is how they can build relationships with China, Mm. and if they're making some extra money on the side, that's not a bad thing in their view. Mm. So states can push back. States can make very clear they don't want to deal with China, Mm. just like individuals can. But they also need to be aware that they are in the crosshairs of Chinese human intelligence and recruitment
0: efforts. Yeah, and we know that they're targeting schools through the Confucius Institutes, indoctrinating our children early on to not question Tiananmen Square. Don't talk about Tiananmen Square. It never happened. Tiananmen (laughs) Square?
1: (laughs) The Dalai Lama? Sure. What's happening with Uyghurs? What's happening in Hong Kong? Exactly. They are a multifaceted, comprehensive approach to shaping public opinion, elite opinion, political opinion, military opinion, Hmm. um, all of these efforts so that come the day, we are undermined even before the start of the fight.
0: Yeah. Great. Great, Dean. Uh, A user on YouTube. Thanks so much for watching. Whoever the user is. Come on. You can give us your name. It's okay. We We won't say your last name. We'll just say your first name. So we'll call this user on YouTube. Asked, can the U.S. work towards producing more products? technological parts, pharmaceuticals, etc. here in the States for an economical price? Or is this just a pipe dream? I think that
1: it's a pipe dream if you are going to also constrain American workers and American factories to uh, comport with a huge number of regulations, many of which are contradictory, all of which add cost. If your attitude is additional regulations don't add cost, which is nonsense economically, but seems to be something many here in Washington believe, then for example, there is no reason why rare earths can't be mined in the United States, Hmm. can't be processed more importantly in the United States. Hmm. But if you're going to require levels of environmental protection that basically discourage that, and the same is true across the board for a variety of products, everything from semiconductors to uh, magnets for uh, transportation, to batteries. I mean, when the Biden administration is saying, we want to build electric vehicles, but we're going to let the Chinese build the batteries, guess what? That's like saying, we're going to have cars, but all of our oil is going to come from Saudi Arabia.
0: Hmm. Um, Richie is in Nassau County, New York. Um, If China would strike the U.S. military, what would that heart attack look like initially?
1: That's a good question. Um, The Chinese military hasn't fought a war since 1979, but they have been very careful students of other people's wars. Hmm. So we think that some of the things they would do, they would go after our satellites, Hmm. because that is a key part of the American way of war. It's how we find our enemies, it's how we guide our weapons, it's how we coordinate our forces. Uh, We would probably see missile strikes against a variety of targets. Hmm. Uh, They're building anti-ship ballistic missiles to target our aircraft carriers. We'd probably see cyber attacks both on military networks, but also here at home, could cause disruption, rail networks, air transportation, communications, et cetera. The idea is to paralyze your adversary and then hit them hard physically. And while they are just discombobulated, achieve your goals and then present them with a on accompli hmm.
0: I wanted to ask as we, as we kind of wrap up here, folks, and if you have any last minute questions, get them in. If we see them, we'll, we'll get to them. Um, but, but, it's, but so back to Speaker Pelosi visiting Taiwan. Um, it's just, you know, again, it's a sign of strength against the Chinese Communist Party. But, you know, she also holds the gavel in Congress. She is the Speaker of the House. Is there any legislation that we should be pushing her to pass in Congress that can stand up to the threat of the Chinese Communist Party?
1: Well, the reality is that if we do not have a strong defense, mm-hmm. then in that case, any promises to Taiwan are going to be empty. Hmm. And if American companies aren't given a bit more of a free hand to work in investing, in building sales networks, et cetera, overseas, because that's what the region wants. The region looks at us and says, America's got the aircraft carriers, China's got the economy. Hmm. And we need to be thinking about how economically we can tie ourselves together because those countries, they don't want to be dependent on China economically. Hmm. But when the Chinese are the only
0: game in town, that's part of the problem. Well, Dean, you are an ace. I like to say that you're an (laughs) ace on this subject. And and it was such a great joy when you said, yeah, I'll come in and do Heritage Explains Live. It was kind of like a a collective yes within (laughs) within the group here. And so I just wanted to thank you so much for for shedding some light on this, giving broader context, deeper than I thought we would go. So again, folks, uh, thanks. Thanks. Thank Dean in the chat. And thank you for watching. Thank you for participating, being a part of the discussion, driving the discussion. And uh, as this stuff happens, we'll, we'll turn the cameras back on and we'll, we'll have you back and we'll, we'll continue to analyze this, but again, Dean, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And thank you. And that's it for this episode of Heritage Explains Live. Head over to the show notes. We've got lots of stuff linked there in case you wanted to get more context for the conversation that Dean and I had. Go ahead, like us, subscribe to us, share us. It all matters. It all helps. And we'll talk to you soon on the next episode of the Heritage Explains podcast. We'll see you then.
1: Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher, with editing by John Pop.